The Sixers Beat is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get in the game. Sixers right now are in Salt Lake City, getting ready to take on the Utah Jazz. Despite the game being just hours away, I can find tickets for just $20 on the Game Time app, with seat view photos from every section with Game Time to help you find the right location. But Game Time is more than just sports tickets, and you can get tickets to live music or the theater as well, and you can do so with a quick, easy two-tap checkout. So head on over to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. How is, uh, I don't know, the, the mountain time zone? <laughs> the road is roadie. It is actually pretty nice here. You know, about a week and a half ago or so, they got some snow in Salt Lake City. I'm currently in Salt Lake City. We're recording this before Wednesday's game against the Jazz, and I'm heading to Denver. And both places, it should be in the 60s during the middle of the day, which is not too bad at all. Uh, yeah. The nights get a little chilly. Like at night, it'll go from like 60 to 40 in like two hours, and it'll be real quick and real sudden. But during the day, it's pretty nice. Yeah, and I was the scenery out, is gorgeous. Yeah, I was out in Denver last year, and I thought that that was the main takeaway was that the uh, the scenery was gorgeous. And I, I actually have family from that area of the country, and they kind of say, you know, one day it could be snowing, and then the next day you might be going in a pool. Um, you, you know, it changes like that. But uh, have not been to Utah. Would would like to make that uh, that stop sometime in the next couple of years. You know, there's not, we were at the University of Utah gym yesterday for their practice. And they're like, wow, this is a really, really nice facility. You sort of have to do that in order to attract high level players here. And I'm not sure if facility is enough to make up for it because there really is, it doesn't seem like there is anything really to do here. <laughs> like what they consider a major city is not what I consider a major city, but it is scenery wise. It is gorgeous. It's a livable city. I guess I would say it seems like traffic is real, real easy to put up with, which I think we on the East coast. Um, we don't, we don't get that benefit, but it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice place to visit. I'm not sure I'd ever call it home, but it, it, it is, it is certainly gorgeous. And I love, I love the mountains. I love hiking. I wish I was here for longer. And I wish it was a, a, a touch, a touch warmer. Um, cause I, I assume you get a little bit up there and it'll get freezing. But anyway, enough with the travel plans. The Sixers undefeated season is over. They fell 114 to 109 to the Phoenix Suns on Monday night, a game where they, had the lead at halftime, had the lead for the early portion of the third quarter, and then the game sort of slipped away. And the highlight of that, or low light if you're a Sixers fan, is Devin Booker going off for 40. And it sort of highlights, you know, these two games without Joel Embiid where he's serving his two-game suspension. Their defense has not been what we have grown accustomed to over this short season. And I guess we'll start off there with that game, specifically against the Suns but also just a little bit more into the defensive lapses that we've seen, how much we attribute that to Joel Embiid and how much we think they are a long-term concern. I don't think the the defense is a long-term concern. I do think it's stunk the last couple of nights, though. Uh, they, they just made very basic mistakes. You know, it was, at, you know, Brett call, calls it KYP, know your personnel. Josh Richardson, he goes over on Ricky Rubio, and that turns into a layup. 
Ben Simmons. He goes under on Devin Booker. That turns into a three. Those two botch a switch in transition. That turns into a three. Matisse Thybul is just, he's just too, you saw the, the negative of his, uh, activity. You know, he, Devin Booker just pump faked him and got in the lane. Th- these were kind of small mistakes they made. I would like to say on the other hand, not only does Devin Booker always kill the Sixers to a degree that is just insane, he's playing amazing basketball right now. There were some of those moves at the end of the game last night. Simmons, I did not think played great defense. I mean, I, I kind of just described it. He had a combination of a step back and a, uh, a hesitation dribble against Simmons where I, I can't really blame Ben on that. That's just amazing offense. And he has uh, such a combination of needing to respect his shot from anywhere, being able to pull up off that dribble and ball handling and athleticism that I think even, even to this day, sometimes he doesn't get quite enough credit for. That is really tough to guard when he's on his game. And, and shout out to Monty Williams. He is, uh, he has them playing a, a very fun style. They're playing together. Did you see in the first quarter? I, I have not watched the Suns play at all until this game this year. I know they have played well. Did you see Booker chasing Richardson around the screens? Yeah, that was the most effort I've ever seen him give on that end of the floor. And I think, you know, again, we're only seven games in, but a lot of credit has to go to Monty Williams. It also uh, a, a lot of credit has to go to James Jones, at least for this one game. For, for forming, you know, teaming up Devin Booker and Aaron Baines, the two biggest Sixers killers ever. I mean, the, the Baines, uh, gravity defying jumpers are, are, I know they're going in against everybody, but those were just automatic. You know, Horford was contesting some of those. Well, he still doesn't know what fucking foot to pull forward, man. It, he's, he's getting better, but it's still that, that is one of the ugliest looking jumpers I've ever seen. And he's shooting like 50% on the season on pretty good sample. It's amazing. Shooting from top of the key too, yeah. It's uh, so so yeah. I, I thought there were a lot of mistakes that they made, but you know, there are just other plays throughout the game. There was one where I thought Richardson got over the screen pretty well, and he uh he had a nice rear view contest. Didn't matter. Devin Booker stopped on a dime and hit it right in Kylo Quinn's face. So I I would say over these last couple of games, I have not been you know I, you just look at the numbers. Their, their defense has not been very good, but uh. You know, and I, I think there's a, a level of, of needing Embiid to get back to that elite level. When uh, when Horford plays, it's going to be more of an up and down game. That's that just that's going to be the case. It also was, you know, I think it was two teams where where Portland right now, when they go small, they're an all offense team, and and you saw the other end of that with the Sixers just bludgeoning them in the paint. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there are little mistakes that that need to be cleaned up. But overall, with the defense, I'm still not completely concerned about that. Yeah, you know, I think if, if you know, looking at it, I don't think these last two games have been much because of their missing Embiid. You know, I think, obviously, you take Embiid out, that's a high-level defensive player of the year caliber player. It's going to have an impact. And then you that that's going to increase the role of someone like Furkan Korkmaz, who's who's not a strong defender, and even someone like Howell Nato, who's a, a, a decent defender, but he's just undersized. So giving them minutes has some impact, but I think by and large, people who have been beat over these last two games are your better defenders. You know, I think part of it is that, you know, we talked about in the early part of the season with Kemba Walker and Trey Young, they're, they're just missing shots that they can make. And right now it's going to make the defense look spectacular. 
and later somebody's going to make these shots and we're all going to freak out and overreact and we don't have to freak out and overreact because that's variance. That's sort of what the Sixers scheme is built around. I think there's a part of that, but especially last game against the Suns, I think a big part, like you said, is just defensive breakdowns, miscommunications, not not scheme-based, not personnel-based, just like Josh Richardson falls asleep on the wing. On the back door and, cut, and, yeah. And Booker just gets a dunk right in his face, and it really seemed like that lit him up in the earlier third quarter. That's not scheme. He just fell asleep. You know, Devin Booker pulls off a couple moves against Ben Simmons where he just gets crossed over. That's not scheme. That's just, like, p- people got beat. There were miscommunications, like you said. So it's a combination of players getting hot, and those shots that Walker and Young were missing are now being made by Lillard and Booker. And also just more defensive breakdowns in terms of communication and responsibility than we've seen in the early going. And maybe part of that is lack of familiarity. I don't think a whole bunch of it is because, like I said, I'm going to go back to that Josh Richardson play where he just fell asleep. That's not that's not lack of familiarity. He just fell asleep. So I think we're just seeing a, a few more mistakes than we're accustomed to, and I think they will, by and large, correct these. Yeah. It's uh, Did Ben Simmons say the other day, I was not at the practice, you were, he said it's nearly impossible to go undefeated yeah. in an 82-game <laughs> season? Uh, you know, I, I misspeak like that five times a podcast, so I'm not making fun of him for that. But, uh, you're gonna have stretches where, where the defense is not, uh, is not really at that, that top level. And I'm sure it'll get magnified a little more because it's early in the season and we don't have many games to go on. But I'm not too concerned about Josh Richardson being a good defender. He will clean up some of, some of those things. But yeah, he, uh, I thought he stunk pretty much on both ends of the floor the other night. They are currently the sixth-ranked defense in the league. <clears throat> That's going up against a couple of, of pretty good offensive teams, and with Embiid missing now, you know, basically half of their games played, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Again, the, the biggest issue is that they have such a little margin for error that they need to have a, you know, they need to shut down Dame Lillard to really have a chance because their offense just isn't clicking at a high enough cylinder. They need to shut down Phoenix, and and they didn't. And, and because of that, they lost one of two games without him being on a tough West Coast road trip, which is not not reason for panic. Well, uh, well, you know, I, th- I think I think if these two games had been flipped, if you dropped Portland and won against Phoenix and things sort of went quote-unquote according to plan a little bit more, I think we would probably be a little more at, at ease. I think Phoenix is playing much better basketball than they have in recent years and even even better than I think most people expected them to, and they're one of the real stories of the season. So I don't really like going splitting one out of two so far in his four game trip is not a uh, not the end of the world. What, what do you make of Horford's role in all of this? You know when he you know if you look back at his seasons in Boston when he was playing the four the defense was a lot better and uh, ironically it was with Baines who he was playing a lot of the time and I think he took some responsibility for not I don't know helping or or, or things like that but it, it is hard when you have teams that can legitimately spread you five out and and it, it puts a lot of emphasis on your uh on your wing defense and the Sixers are strong in that department but they just haven't been at that level yeah I mean I, I <clears throat> like I said I'm gonna go back to these last two games that I think there's just a lot of mistakes being made I don't think Horford at the five is schematically what's hurt them these last two games I think it does bring into some concerns like I think there are Reasons Boston was better with him at the four defensively and reasons they were typically better with him at the five offensively. And I think we've seen that play out over the last two games too. I think he's been a much better offensive player when he's been in that role and not just, not just in the scoring numbers that he's put up here, but in the, uh, in the passing and the facilitating and the playmaking that we've seen. So I think this is sort of in some ways going to plan. But like I said, I think a lot of these last two games, people falling asleep, rotations not being made, getting beat, falling asleep. I said that twice, but it's probably worth mentioning. 
and uh, and just some shots being made. So I I wouldn't attribute even a decent chunk of this to Horford in these two specific games. Yeah, and I think it's you know to kind of zoom out a little bit. It's worth noting that the Sixers made all these mistakes. We can talk about Ben a little bit because he was just not good enough the other night. Uh, and they almost won that game. You know, there is a sense of just alligator blood with this team. They just hang around and that's a good sign moving forward. You know, when you, when you're not at your best and, and, you know, Portland, the, uh, God, the three point defense was terrible. And, and of course Portland was on fire, but there were a lot of open threes in that game too. Uh, but, but to just come out, you know, one of two, and that's, I think a lot of that is due to how good Orford is playing. You know, it's, it's a major difference when you can run pick and pop with that guy. And, uh, God, he's really had some like throwback performances. He was, uh, he was outrageously good against Phoenix. Yep. Just, I mean, five of eight from three. I know the shooting regression kind of came all in one night there, but God, I mean, he he just had he's had about three or four of these this year where they they pick and pop him and and people just run at him and he puts the ball on the floor and he throws down a pretty good dunk. He's yep. actually a little more athletic than I remembered in terms of that kind of just vertical leap. Yeah, def- definitely seems like a one footed leaper. He needs a little bit to a little time to gather, but when he gets ahead of steam, he's he's surprised me. He is uh, uh, what is he thirty three? I certainly has a little bit left in the tank physically. Um. Putback dunk was nasty the other night yes. too. Alright, let's go to Cork getting his first start of the season ahead of Matisse Thibel, who's who's been struggling real badly and, and had by far the worst game of the season against Phoenix. Um fouled out in what like not fouled out, but four fouls in like five minutes and just he looked he looked like he was unsure of himself on both ends a little bit, which we haven't really seen him like, he, like he's missed shots, what's he shooting like twenty four percent from the field? But he hasn't really had that hesitation. I thought he had some hesitation on both ends against the Suns. So Korkmaz got the start, came out struggling, and I think it was like one for six from the field for like four points in the first half. And I think the benefit for a shooter here is that you can play through that. Like he knew he was going to get second half minutes. Some other games, you know, he might come out and have that first half and maybe Shake Milton's getting those minutes if, if they're at full strength. But now that he has a little more room to play, he came out and he had, what, I think 16 in the second half, played really well. Made a couple of really big shots. And two things. First of all, I, I never looked at him. Now granted, he's usually on the weakest offensive player. Like, they'll, they'll stick him on Rubio sometimes, where he has a chance to compete. But he never really looked like he was just completely killing them defensively. Which, small sample size, but I thought it was meaningful against Phoenix. But he's also, ha- he's made some plays off the dribble. He's made some plays off the pick and roll. He seems like he's had a, a pretty good connection with Al Horford so really far. Really did. Yeah. And between that and his movement off the ball, like, if he could, surprise us all. And if this like two or three game stretch that he's on can prove to be even semi legit. I'm not sure if it is, but they can certainly use his skill set or his his theoretical skill set. Biggest loser of these last three games, Shake, Shake Milton. Milton. Yeah. It's unfortunate that he got hurt, but the the cork, who again I'm I'm not a very big believer in, has played really well the last three games. I'm looking at his averages right now. Sixteen points on forty seven percent from the field. 48% from three, 80% from the line, couple assists, one turnover, three rebounds. If you can get, you know, obviously the shooting percentages are higher than they're going to be, but if you can get even in the neighborhood of that type of performance from him, that's pretty good. And I agree with your point about the defense because as much as I have enjoyed Howell Neto 
over these past couple games. I think in your Blazers recap, you you termed it just as offensive energy. He just he just makes stuff happen. You know, smart plays. He had that. Uh, I forget which game it was. I, I think it was Phoenix. The two for one he orchestrated at the end of the first quarter was just brilliant. Just really smart plays, and it was a drive to the basket, and then a lefty feed to Horford for three in the corner. And by the way, Horford at the end of quarters shooting a million percent. He, uh, that guy when the, when the clock runs down, we might, they might have to run plays for him if it's a close game at the end of the game. Uh, you saw with Neto though, Tyler Johnson in the fourth quarter of that Suns game. Tyler Johnson, not a very good offensive player, shot right over. And, and you can kind of see, even though I think he is a pretty good defender, at that size, there are just some limitations that Corkmaz does not have. And, yep. uh, yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, Brett with the, we want to grow Obama line. He's played well. And I, I will say just from a, uh, a personal standpoint, Corkmaz's first couple of years here in Philadelphia have not gone well. I think it's got to be pretty embarrassing when you're a first round pick and your option doesn't get picked up. And then there's no interest in you this summer. So you basically come back even with the, uh, you know, how the Sixers were hamstrung in terms of paying him. Uh, you know, I think he's a pretty well-liked guy on this team. I can just think back to when I was in Atlanta last week and, uh, him and Thibel and, and Embiid were goofing around having a shooting contest. I, I think there is a general, you know, enjoyment in, uh, you know, what, what he brings to a locker room kind of quietly. Uh, for him to have that moment was pretty cool and it was a good, uh, obviously nice play for Brett Brown. They're always, uh, always considered good when the shots go in, but, uh, <laughs> That, that was a cool moment for sure. And that was obviously, you know, I think how the Sixers got those games, two relative toss up games, you know, I think it, you, you can dissect kind of the, the good and the, and the bad from those, those games, but taking a step back and looking at it, going one of two with the, uh, with the big man out, not bad. No, no, it's not. All right. We take a quick break to talk about this week's sponsor, DraftKings. Weekends are made for football, and with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, now that I think about it, with all the hoops and hockey action going on, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 a year. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and with so much going on, they have great promotions running all month long. This week, DraftKings is running a special promo for the Battle of New York on Sunday. Just place a bet on either the Giants or the Jets to win and get $10 for every touchdown scored by your team's quarterback. Here I'd probably have to go with Daniel Jones, who at least has a chance of repeating his four-touchdown performance from Week 8. And don't forget, the DraftKings Sportsbook app has in-game betting so you can bet on the games while they're happening. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. That's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. All right, one more before we sort of do a look ahead. Ben Simmons. You know, Phoenix came out. They had Baines defending him. For what I think about half of his possessions, give or take, he was certainly the most used defender Yep. on Ben Simmons. And I think he shot 0 for 3 from the field when Baines was on him. Now, you know, Brett will come out, and he did come out after the game. You know, our our strategy there was to put Ben as the screener. A lot of what they did 
Last year with, with Simmons screen, screening for J.J. Redick, you don't have J.J. Redick this year, so it's not going to look the same. You know, Baines doesn't necessarily have to come up to the perimeter to contest as much as he would have with Redick, but Tobias used that for a couple of nice drives to the rim. A couple of nice drives off of pick and rolls or dribble handoffs where he was able to get a little bit of space. I think they maybe overstayed that a little bit. Like I went back and I watched all of Harris's buckets, and I think he got maybe three or four out of that action, which was important. They were good but screens I don't think too. I thought they were good screens, but I don't think it quite offset the fact that your point guard and the guy who's averaging 18 a night was pretty much a non-factor with the ball in his hands in the half court for most of the game. And this is one of the areas where, you know, there was a lot of talk in the offseason, a lot of talk in the preseason and training camp about Simmons and his jumper. We, I think before the season, we set the over under at 35. That looks just preposterous right now that he's sitting at zero made shots outside of the paint. Zero, zero taken real shots too. Has not I think hit. he might have a couple on the baseline out of the paint, but not many, not many. No, but he's taken, when I say real shots, I mean he's taken those garbanzo like beans fadeaways. Yeah. He's taken three of those. That's it. Yeah. There's not been one jumper facing the basket. And he's not even, he's not even looking rich. Like they come down, you know, Bain just sets a, a wall at the free throw line and he doesn't move. Like he's a foot outside of the paint and he's giving him whatever he wants and he's not taking it. He's not in the corner. He's, a lot of times he's not even in the dunker spot. He's, Seems like he's hanging around a lot more at sort of like the elbow. Yeah, and just weird, right? things up. And which m- might be worse than the dunker spot. So he's, not only is he not spacing out to the, the, the and look, I think you're probably going to be pretty tough on Brett here. And I think they're using him. I, I don't think how they're using him is working. But it, you're not actually going to spread the floor if you're standing in the corner and never going to shoot. So is, would it be better positioned out there? Maybe. I mean, it can't be much worse than where he is right now. But they they need Simmons to be willing and, and able to take those corner three. Even even if he takes two steps in, he's taking a 18-foot corner jumper. They need those. And we see him do it all the time in practice. And look, practice doesn't always translate. We know that. Like, we've been covering this sport for a long, well, a decent enough time now. But he's never going to be tightly contested. Like, these shots no. that he's getting are going to be so easy relative to what every other NBA player takes. And, I, like... Yeah, in past years, he'd occasionally shoot jumpers, but he'd take like two or three and then go do something else. This year, he's going through real legit shooting drills. Like, I do believe he's put in the work, but we're just not, we're not, you're not seeing it at all in games, and it's, it's certainly frustrating. I, I don't even care about his, uh, stat total at the end of the night. That was not good, but to me, it's all about how they're going about it. And I think your point about he's not in the dunker anymore, it's, you wonder if they got a little bit sensitive about that, and it's like, all right, let's just meander up by the elbow or something well, like that. Especially when Brett came out and said, I'm not putting him in the dunker spot. Well, that might be, but this isn't better. Yeah. Uh I just – look, we said it before the season. This is the one thing that he's just not going to get a pass on anymore. And it it doesn't even look like they're trying to uh to figure this out. And, I, you know, how much of that falls on the coach – how much of that falls on the player? I think obviously more of it falls on the player because he's not looking at the basket and it's clear that they want him to shoot. But I'm sorry, like he cannot go six games without shooting one jumper and think that people are just going to forget about it. It's crazy. And, and the fact that they have not, um, you know, they have not spaced him off the ball in the corner at all, which is what Brett said he was going to do hasn't happened. I mean, I think I've seen it like once or twice, but come on, in the span of six games, and he's not even looking at the basket. So the the fact that it, it does not seem like we 
I mean, I'm sure they do have a plan for, for how to figure this out, but the fact that we have not seen it implemented once in a game through six games, it's, uh, it's not encouraging and we're going to continue to talk about it if he, uh, if he doesn't do it because you get a night like last night where they play Baines and I, I agree with Brett. Baines, when you play off Ben, is quicker and stronger than, you know, you might think. That's, yep. Very similar to what Joel here, did to Giannis. And, here's, uh, here, here's Brett's quote on that, um, because I wanted to bring that up and you sort of segued into it. Physically, he's as good conditioned as he's ever been. He can sit down in the stance and move his feet, and I think the mismatch with Ben, I don't see it. Really entirely like that being a mismatch. I wish maybe we got a little bit more out of Ben in early offense when Aaron was on him, but half court, I don't know. So the fact that, and, and, and you're right, the Giannis comparison is, is where I was going to go and with what the Sixers did with him with Embiid. And the Sixers are saved a little bit in that you can't really do that against the Sixers too much because typically you would have Joel Embiid on the court and they would be wanting to match Baines' minutes with Embiid's and match Baines up with Embiid because he's the only one who can really physically handle him or at least give him a little bit of troubles. So in a typical game, this wouldn't have been as pronounced, but it was. And he they shut down, you know, Ben's such an elite athlete and such a, a, a real physical specimen that you, yeah, Baines is quicker than I think a lot of people give him credit for. He should not be able to keep up with him. And if he had to even slightly worry about him outside of the paint, he wouldn't be able to keep up with him. And this is one of those matchups where we look at and we say, yes, Ben's great. He's a very good player. He's going to be an all-star again this year. Great defender. Elite speed and transition. Elite, you know, real elite in terms of his vision. But there's a lot more he can grow and a lot more impact he could have. And, and it would be so much more difficult for teams to defend the Sixers if he didn't have this weakness. And we're now in year three playing year four in the NBA where he spent a summer working on it and it's still an issue. The, the way I look about at it is the, the analogy is if he was a pitcher. His fastball most nights is just going to be overpowering. And I think some nights against Baines, you know, he'll, he'll find cracks whether it was in transition or early offense or maybe, you know, cutting off the ball or maybe he'd get him once or twice with isolation with, Kind of, you know, the show and go, dream shake, hook shot, whatever he tries to throw up against him. Sometimes those shots will go in and he'll get confident and, you know, and he'll put up his 18 points a game. But my problem is some nights it's clear that some nights that doesn't work and there's no plan B. There's no off speed pitch and it, it does not look like they're even trying to develop it. And, and that is my worry for the playoffs. Like you said, I'm not worried about Ben as a regular season player. I agree with you 100%. He's going to be an all-star this year. We're going to talk about how good he is for a lot of the time, but I just, his bad games are troubling to me. More troubling than they are when it's, when it's Joel or even guys like Tobias who's playing well. And it's just, you need more from him and you need more, a, a more well-rounded game. And we just haven't seen it yet. I have had a number of people around the league who have expressed that Simmons is a, a regular season player. I think a lot of people hear that and they, they, you go to like clutch, like he's not clutch, he's not made for the moment. I don't think that's what they mean at all. I think what they mean is, is what we've sort of said a lot is that these best teams, these top teams, the top four teams that you have to get through to win an NBA championship have the kind of unique defenders to play him, have the scheme in a seven game series to scheme around his weaknesses. And that plan B is exactly what they're talking about. The Sixers have to be able to have a plan B to overcome that. And in both second rounds of the playoffs, they have not. And we're seeing that a little bit here 
in the early going, and it's certainly concerning. Not concerning because they don't have a hell of a talent on their team. Concerning because they're a team who who prides who who thinks of themselves as an NBA championship caliber team, somebody who can win an NBA Finals. And to do that, I do think they're going to have to solve this. I do. Yeah. All right. Uh, real quick, do you have any real thoughts on what happened against the Timberwolves and Joel Embiid and the way he? I know you you did the the podcast with uh podcast. Yeah, I can speak podcast with uh, John. With, who covers the Timberwolves. But any, I guess, seeing how it's now played out, how all of the Instagram stuff played out, uh, I do you think, have, were you troubled by it at all, I guess? No, I, I think you just tell Joe, you, you can't do that again on social media. You can't, you can't, you can't get in a fight. You can't take, uh, and to be fair, I don't really think his, uh, his role in the fight was, uh, no. was all that bad. I, Frankly, I wrote about it. I, I think it's kind of a product of the way they play. This is going to be a physical team that beats the crap out of you. And part of the way they beat the crap out of you is mentally with Joe talking crap to you. And that's fine. I thought Towns was completely the instigator in that fight. And, and by and the way, I don't it. think Towns instigating is necessarily wrong, especially with how he's viewed around the league and maybe with how he's viewed even within that team sometimes. Like, I think that could yeah. be a young player trying to sort of change a narrative. And I, I, I don't think, I think there's a place for that in this game. I'm no problem with either player's role on the court. I'm with it. Yeah. Re- really, I really thought it was a smart, I thought kind of what he did was more interesting than, than anything Joe did. Because look, when he gets back on the court, you know, he's, you know, we'll, we'll see it in Utah and Denver. I'm sure he'll make a block and he'll stare the guy down and he'll, <laughs> he'll laugh at him or he'll dunk and he'll, He'll play to the crowd and do the, you know, the, the finger pointing, uh, after getting an N1. I think that's fine. I would tell him, Hey, like, let's make the, the Instagram and the Twitter a a little slightly less personal. You know what I mean? With the, uh, with the second tweet there. Uh, I think the first one's funny and all that stuff, but I, I do think that played into increasing the suspension for sure. Yeah. You can't, it's hard to have the benefit of the doubt when you act like that. After the fact, and it's it, but again, it's not like for a one-time offense. I'm not like losing my mind. No, and like going back to your point, like in terms of trash talking and, and instigating on the court, I have I have actually no real problem with that. Like I think there should be more trash talking. Like if you can get into yeah. somebody's head and impact the way they play psychologically, and even if that involves showing them up or like you know the shimmy that he did a couple games ago or or which was ridiculous he should not have gotten a t for that ridiculous no. or standing like i'm i'm actually real lenient on in game in the middle of a contest shows like that because i think there is a psychological component to this game and i have no problem with that even if it escalates into what it did escalate to i do think he crossed the line on instagram <laughs> a little bit <laughs> uh, some of the language he used uh, i don't think has much of a place yeah in this day and age, um, you don't need to be calling people a P word in, in 2019. I don't think that is, you know, we don't need hard P's. And going into where he went with his, his mother and, and what he implied elsewhere, I think that, I do think that crossed the line. And I, you know, uh, especially a couple hours later, I, I wished he wouldn't have done that in this way, I would phrase it. I think the P word, I, I think that's fair. The, the pointing out that the mother was giving him a middle finger, I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. That was of the three things I listed, that was my, the one I had the least issue with. Look, she shouldn't have given him the finger. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The, the bravado was, uh, it, it, it got a little too personal and, and he, he definitely stepped over a line. But again, yep. I, 
I think as far as stepping over a line, it, now he knows where it is, hopefully, and, and that won't happen again. But that was, uh, I mean, it was certainly entertaining the, <laughs> the, the, the whole night. I mean, but even the, uh, the, the little fracas and I mean, MB pumping up the crowd, which, great. which I, I also no think might have, which I also think probably played For into sure. the suspension a little bit, but For that sure. was funny, man. That yeah. was, <laughs> and I, that you was know, I think. Again, going back, I have really no problem with anything that happened on the court. Um, I, I think something like that early in the season on a, on a team that really doesn't have many shared experiences together, you know, I think even that can almost galvanize the team and, yeah. and, and bring them closer together. I have no problem with anything that happened just, on the court, including egging on the crowd, which I thought was just spectacular. Just just the last tweet, Joe. Get rid of that one, and then, <laughs> right. and then I think you're okay. All right. Looking ahead now, the Sixers have Utah Wednesday night tonight. Not entirely sure when this, if this will get out before the game, but tonight we'll go with. And then, and then heading over to Denver to complete this four game road trip. A couple of, of tough contests. I'd say so. But, uh, well, what are you looking for here? Well, I mean, they've, they played really well against Utah the past couple of years, but I, I think the main thing you're looking at is Joe coming back and the big man battle. I mean, he's playing against the guy who's won rookie or uh, defensive player of the year a couple of times against him. I know. You know, Joe thinks he's better than everybody, so he certainly thinks he's a better defensive player than, uh, Gobert. You know, you have a little bit of the, the Simmons, uh, Mitchell rivalry, and that'll give the Sixers kind of another chance to, uh, to play against a guard who, you know, is high scoring off the pick and roll and is, is someone that, that can be tough to contain. I know Mike Conley has struggled a lot to start for Utah. That's, that's, that's a very good defense. I would imagine the first game is Number a rock one fight. defense in the league. Yep. Yeah. And that's, uh, Look, I would, you'd have to say go bears in the, uh, in the driver's seat, at least, you know, through five or six games. Uh, so yeah, I expect a rock fight in Utah. I expect a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a little bit more pace in Denver. Jokic has not been great to start the year, although they, they got a nice win over the heat last night where they, uh, they seem to be, you know, getting things together. I, I think both of these teams are going to be, I don't know, top five teams in the West. At least, you know, and they, they could be as high as one. You know, the West is, is kind of so fluid and, you know, teams are going to handle the regular season differently. But these are, these are two tough games. And honestly, if the Sixers are competitive in both and win one of them, I think that's a pretty good trip to the, uh, to the Rocky Mountain time zone. Yeah. Yep. And then they come back home. They will have Charlotte, Cleveland, <laughs> head on the road for Atlanta, OKC and Cleveland again. So, and then come back home to the Knicks. So the schedule lightens up here. A little bit in terms of quality of opponents. You know, I think they have a, a real chance to, you know, really sort of put their foot down and cement their place at the top of the Eastern Conference because I expect, uh, you know, I think this team that can reel off some wins after that. So these games will be interesting. Two very different teams in Denver and Utah, and we'll see how they counteract that. But the matchup with Embiid and Gobert will be fun to watch, and it's good to get the, the big man back. He was at practice yesterday, went through an entire practice. Uh, was even there before. Shape. What was that? Is he out of shape? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was off two games, so you never know. But uh, he was out there before the team got there, was doing some extra conditioning, so we will see how he looks. All right, I think that's probably a good enough place to cut it off. Rich, keep this one short and sweet. Thank you for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.